0: Hey social kick crew, this is a show hosted by sprinters, so distance swimmers beware. This one is all about speed. We're not talking about the difference between the sprint group and the distance group, we're talking about what it takes to achieve Olympic and world finals type of speed. And because there are so many parallels between track sprinters and sprint swimmers, especially as swimming has progressed to adopt many of the training methodologies utilized in track and field in recent years, this conversation is about both sports. What natural talents do the top athletes possess? How do they train? What mentality do the best have to peak at the right time and win on the biggest stage? To have this conversation properly, we invited two of the best to ever do it. For the swimming perspective, a repeat guest and friend of the pod, two-time Olympic gold medalist in the 50 free, Gary Hall Jr. And for the track perspective, five-time Olympic finalist and world champion on the track and the voice of track and field on NBC, Otto Bolden. It was a ton of fun to talk about concepts and characteristics of speed with these guys through the lens of multiple sports. Too often we miss opportunities because we're not looking in the right place. So, hopefully this offers you an opportunity to think about things in a new way. Here's our conversation about speed with the great Gary Otto. And we're live. Welcome back to an episode of the Social Kick Podcast, a special episode with a really full crew today. I'm Brian Lundquist, joined by Dr. John Mullen, Luke Paddington, and some elite of elite speed in the pool, Gary Hall Jr., and on the track, Otto Bolden. Thanks for joining, guys. What's going on? Hello. I'm
1: good, guys. Good to be with you this evening.
0: Yeah. Well, guys, we've been talking about doing this for quite a while, and I think coming from a swimming background, three sprinters hosting this show, and we've talked with Gary in the past. One of the things that we've always noticed as swimmers is how um, there were elements of the sport of swimming that seemed to be perhaps trending behind track and field, or we would start to tinker with maybe some of this innovation, starting with Gary, elements of how track athletes, the best of the best, are um, you know, how are they training versus some of the longer, more endurance training that we saw as swimmers. And that we found we even name in swimming our start on on the on the block after track, we called it a track start, not at Luke's age, because he's too old. But at some point, we started doing a track start with a foot back. And you know, the innovation followed. And so we wanted to first, you know, talk some about the parallels here. Um, between the two sports, but also about the characteristics of what it takes to be the elite of elite speed. Not talking about NCAA finals, not talking about that that kind of knocking on the door level. But what does it take to be world beating? What is it, what is the what what's common amongst the uncommon men and women that are in the Olympic final? And who better to talk to than a two-time Olympic champion and an Olympic finalist and world champion in their respective sports. So we wanted to start this conversation around identifying speed at any level, but physical attributes. So Otto, I want to put it to you with a lens of track and field. What do you feel like are some of physical attributes or mental attributes and are those are those important? What is important in in uh, you know forming someone who is you know elite speed?
1: Um, yeah, I, I think if you lined up a hundred kids, maybe in at, at a high school level, um, if you if I, if I got to spend five minutes with them, I could tell you um, who are the ones that could be on an Olympic podium one day. Um, by by looking at them, but five more minutes of talking to them would actually help me to sort through if my initial wave of cut, so to speak, were even accurate. And that's because yes, there's physical things I look for. Um, I, I'll give you a good example. The young lady right now who is considered the absolute best ever in the hundred meter dash is five feet no inches tall. Her name is Shelly-Ann fraser Price and she hails from Jamaica. In the last three Olympic 100 meter finals, she's been uh, third, first, and first. And I went to UCLA, Flojo was a friend of mine, and people go, there's no way Flojo is the best ever. But the truth is, as athletes, we all know, you judge people by who has the championships. Well, she has more world championships than Usain Bolt in the 100, and I just gave you her Olympic record. If she walked into the chat right now, you'd go, "That's the that's the fastest 100. That's the greatest 100-meter sprinter ever." Yeah, and it's not because of her actual height; it's her proportions. So I know what proportions to look for. and this is gonna sound familiar to you guys, right? Wingspan, hip height, all of that kinds of stuff. But that's just that just gets you in the in the party, as I say. The question is, can you dance? And that's when we get to the part that, for a lot of them separate the wheat from the shaft. And that is, can you withstand the rigors of training? Are you going to quit when it gets hard? And then further to that, when you are in that pressure cooker called the Olympic final, are you going to wilt? Or like my man, Gary here, you're going to be like, you know, sh- you know, shooting air guns at the, at the, at the water because you are literally ready for this moment. And you hear this word crazy thrown around a lot. The fact is that I separate Olympic athletes from what I call civilians. The civilians are sitting in the stands and they're like, oh, shit. How is that? How are they dealing with that pressure? How are the eight people lining up with the world completely stopped right now watching them? How are they dealing with this? And the reality is you have to have what we put our bodies through and put our lives through at maybe standing on an Olympic podium means you have to be a little bit crazy. So it's not something that I think people who have been on an Olympic podium like myself, we, we don't see that as a as a bad thing. That's a badge of honor. So, yes, there is a, a physical component to it. But, man, there's so much more is 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 above the neck.
0: Gary, what comes to your mind uh, when you think about physical attributes or things that are innate?
2: In swimming, <clears throat> the, uh, the best sprinters tend to be taller, uh, long, longer levers, um, whereas in, 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 in track and field, I, to add to, I, I mean, Usain Bolt, I think, is an exception in, in that he's very tall, but a lot of the best sprinters are, are, are compact and powerful. Um, this example that he was just pointing out uh, in, in swimming, it's uh, the opposite. Uh, the taller sw- swimmers uh, tend to gravitate toward the uh, sprints. It's um, you know, weight to strength ratios. Uh, the more water you're able to displace uh, through those longer levers, uh, legs and arms, uh, the more you're able to achieve a planing uh, type of effect. Um, so those are the typical, uh, the, the physical. And then, you know, when you talk about uh, the talent in the sport, Ian Thorpe had like a size 18 shoe. I call that talent. You know, that's just a natural born. I mean, it, that's, I'd rather have a size 18 shoe than webbed fingers, honestly, if you're looking for an advantage. That is flippers. I mean, look at how many master swimmers use zoomers. That's not even, with the extension – size 18 that's not as big as ian uh thirst but so you know big feet big hands uh huge advantages uh in, in that physical attribute um but that is absolutely right um you know that what makes or breaks uh is, is what's in the heart and in the mind uh, and, and um, you know when you get to uh crazy is a good word uh unorthodox outside of the box there's a lot of different terms that um you know sprinters you know uh, tend to be labeled um you know a lot of them have walked to the beat of their own drum independence uh that pressure cooker situation in the olympic finals it it, it takes someone who, who who uh is not immune to fear uh they experience it but most when he's talking about uh with the norm most people when they see a fire or danger they run from it i think it takes a mentality to run toward it you know there's a fearlessness in in these uh individuals that excel at that um, level that that pressure situation
3: guys is this is this speed born? uh that's why i want you to tell me your origin story because um i just read today that hazy crawford the 976 gold medalist started track when he was 17. i read that ben johnson moved to canada when he was 15 and went under charlie francis you moved to the states uh you left the best high school in the world to go
4: to um
3: that the high school that produced two of the fastest swimmers that trinidad and tobago has ever seen and Oh, and only recently the second fastest hundred meter runner by point zero one. Anyway, um, tell me your origin story because Atto was a soccer player when I knew him. He was this big time soccer player that I knew, and when I heard that he was a track guy, I was like, "What? What did? What happened at fourteen? What did it see in you? Was it a conversation they had, and they saw your mind,
1: or they saw your body? What? What was it?" Um, you you'd have to ask him, but but I think I got discovered in New York City. I moved here at fourteen and had no. No intentions whatsoever of, of, of doing anything uh, in track and field. I had tried track and field. Um, I had tried to sprint back um, between the ages of like maybe, I don't know, tw- 10 to 13 um, back in Trinidad and had very little success. But the truth is, I look at myself now and I go, yeah, my athletic g- gifts came late. So to answer your question, Luke, yes, that that um, that DNA, that ability. It's in there. Some people discover that it's in there, other people do not. Some people end up being, you know, hedge fund managers and and it's in there. But a lot of us get discovered because somebody sees something in us that maybe we don't even see in ourselves. My, uh, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is funny to me still. My neighbor, when I was eight or nine, saw me playing soccer with the other kids and went to my father and said, your son has the ability to be a world-beating sprinter. He was a track and field guy. And my father must have laughed for about 10 straight minutes. He was like, "Like my little son is so, it's like he's thin and he's skinny because he had this image of, you know, you had to be like this to be a world-class sprinter. My father could not connect what he was seeing as, you know, a little young, thin uh, kid, you know, running up and down a hill in Trinidad to world-class stardom. Well. That that's okay, but it was in there, and all it takes is for somebody to see it in you. And I I think every, I think all of us um, who have been, you know, at a world championship, at a world championships, or on an Olympic podium, realize that maybe even before we were sure, there was somebody that was pretty sure that what they saw in us was real and for me that's uh, an Italian guy called Joe truppiano in uh, at Jamaica High school uh in Queens and he was convinced he saw me play, like going on the wing and this is you know he saw me at 16 and at the time that was right when I was starting to feel like whoa I'm doing things on a soccer field which I couldn't do four or five years ago I, I mean I'm just gone anytime I want it. he saw that he went how would you like to be in a sport where you control the outcome because I see you scoring goals but your goalie sucks you guys are losing. And that was literally it for me. Uh, Gary, I want to go back to something you said really briefly about the temperament of the the upper echelon sprinters, no matter what it is. This is an example that somebody gave me years ago and I've never forgotten it. They said, have you ever watched uh, horse racing? I said, sure, I watch horse racing. He said, you ever see sometimes when they're loading those horses in at the Kentucky Derby, how do those how do those uh, how do those horses how do they, do they do, you know do they prance a little bit? like do all of them just you know respectfully get into the to those uh, get into that starting game or do some of them have an attitude they go in there like you know like I'm not ready to go yet. Anytime you see that kind of posturing and preening from somebody whose business is speed at the like the .001% level, Remember those horses, it exists everywhere in nature. We, we civilians call it arrogance, and some people don't, it doesn't, you know, wide receivers have it too. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, civilians don't always like to see it, but the truth is animals at that level, beings at that level, they have a sense of, I'm different and it's hard sometimes for it to not come out.
3: Atto, 2000 games, Olympic Village, Trinidad house. You and I had a conversation for like half an hour on the balcony. It was a week before your 100 meter final. Yeah, I could not believe the amount of energy that you had. You literally could not keep still, you could not sit in your seat. And it was remarkable. And I was so impressed. And I just knew, like, is gonna do something crazy next week. It's gonna be you were on fire 100 before. I you felt like a horse getting ready to like explode. Uh, yeah.
0: Gary, I wanted to uh, ask about
2: that. Uh, uh, and I, I, I actually pay i've watched uh, for many many years horse racing um and i and i know what you're talking about it, i mean the ones uh, for these animals that are to be controlled contained put into a stall even if it's just like 10 seconds before the gun goes off right like it's too much like it, you know I, and and um you know earlier i talked about the you know, wild horses but that I, I remember watching when, when I watch a horse running old, like in the open, like at a Kentucky Derby, when you watch that winning horse, just like full throttle, when, it, when it's opened up and, and it's just there's something graceful in, in, in it, but, but it's just so explosive and, and violent in so many other ways, yes. I, it connects with me. Like I, I cry. I, I don't cry often. When I see that, I relate to that animal. When it, when when I see a horse running full full
1: force, uh, yes, like you, I I enjoy watching anything. I mean, around my house is like pictures of cheetahs. Anything that is in full flight like that, like you, I connect with it. There's something beautiful about something that can move as you know for its species, fashion, anything else. That's just that's just my thing. So I'm glad to hear you say that,
0: Gary. I know you're connected to clinics, and you often see swimmers on deck. Uh, you know, through your dad, connected to people. You know, athletes in the sport. Do do you when when you're in those environments, do you feel like you are able to pick out the athletes who who've who've you know got an element of speed, and are you pulling them aside and saying, "Hey, hey, cowboy, like you need to you need to be thinking about." you know, X, Y, and Z for your training because you're different. Do you, have you come across that type of scenario in a young athlete?
2: Yeah, all the time, all the time. Uh, As I mentioned it earlier. I mean, you'll up hundred kids. So you can spot the 10 that have talent, you know, the five that have the men's mindset. Um, I did a clinic recently and there was one kid. He wasn't the fastest in the pool. He had the most ability. Like he, he, he could, he could do it. And um, you know and, and, and I did, you know, and I have to do it privately, right like respectful of all the other swimmers there, but like I, I you know, leaving the pool one evening, I, I pulled him aside and I was like, you need to keep swimming. you're really talented more than you know. Uh, and, and so, yeah, uh, a lot of times, the, the, and we talked about it when I was on the show earlier, the sport has lost uh, his, his most talented uh, prospects. Um, because it is just such a rigorous, uh, demanding um, training uh, that is required, but also just the uh, team environment. Um, it, 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 yeah, um, it, it's not con- conducive to those with the proper mindset to be uh, the fastest.
4: Yeah, obviously, talent ID is a popular topic, and I think every sport and a lot of sports are getting more towards looking at the stats, trying to measure certain variables to identify which athletes are going to be the next up-and-coming ones. You guys kind of explained it differently, more of like a holistic feel or holistic view of it. How do you think you guys could identify these things, or can you teach other people and coaches how to identify young talent? Maybe Otto? I don't know if I could, because I am not even sure what
1: I, I'm not even sure if I could quantify or explain in great detail what it is that I see when I see a young uh, kid running and I go, yes, absolutely. I'll give you an example. Um, I always said I never wanted to coach and I moved to Florida and I saw the talent here and I said, man, there's a lot of talent being wasted um, because I felt like I um, There was just, there was an abundance of talent, but the talent was actually better than the coaching. So I kind of got dragged kicking and screaming in the coaching and literally put two young girls from the city where I live, Miramar, Florida, onto the all-time high school list um, in the hundred meter dash. First, so she has the, one has the high school record and one's 10th. It's not because I'm the greatest coach in the world. It's because I saw in the two of them what could be. I don't know if you asked me what it was that I saw, if I could write you a detailed explanation of it. It was, yes, it was attitude, and, and yes, I was lucky to get them young enough to sort of break some of their bad habits and kind of put them in a system that was, it was almost like a pro system. So it was like, they were not, they were not going to fail as long as they, they got on that sort of uh, conveyor belt. But at the same time, I don't know if 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 Luke came to visit, and I said, okay, Luke, so here's what you look for when you're looking for, you know, potential future Olympians or Olympic medalists. I don't know if I could, specific, you know, I, I think it's it's so ingrained in me from. I mean, I've been watching people run fast for. I mean, I'm 47 for 30 years, so I, I think so much of it is 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 instinctive and, and almost subconscious that I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could teach, teach it to somebody else.
4: Luke, picture yourself. Now picture the opposite. Now look for that on land. <laughs> <laughs> he never saw me run a hundred, so he don't know what you're talking
3: about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at all, but it makes you a great broadcaster because you're able and, and to look at an athlete behind the blocks and how they're preparing for their race. And I know you're, you're very good at your broadcasting career to so identify when somebody's ready and on. And so much so you can almost call, you know, sports so well, you can call the time to the hundreds. You, do you guys see when somebody is ready to be fast when they're on?
1: Well, if you're talking about, you know, predicting that Usain Bolt was going to win races in the Olympics that, I mean, Stevie <laughs> Wonder can see that. Um, <laughs> but, but, but thank you for the compliment. The truth is that I, because I am, I am a numbers guy. Mm. I was a numbers guy to a fault in my career, and I would be the first to tell you I don't. I have four Olympic medals, none of which is gold, and the critique of me when I was an athlete was an accurate one. I tried to think my way through mm. Olympic finals. That was terrible as an athlete, but I think it's made me a good broadcaster. So, when, for example, um, in in two thousand eight, Usain Bolt had broke broken the hundred meter record. And there was a consensus that he was not going to be able to break the 200 meter record, including the guy who had the record, Michael Johnson, at the time, said, No, it took me a while to figure that out. The 100's not the 200, blah, 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 blah. And I went home and I figured out, okay, so this guy ran 969, beating his chest. So he's in 95 shape. And I wrote down what I thought he would run on the turn. And then I wrote down what I thought he could run in the final. And I. Literally came to work the next day with a number nineteen point three one, and everybody went, "Oh, that'll break the record." I went, "Yeah," and you will. You can you can check the tape. I said, "As long as he does not stop running before the line like he did in the hundred, that record is gone." He ran nineteen thirty. That's not because you're a genius. It's because you understand your event, you understand your sport, and then you apply your love and your passion for numbers to something which is in front of you. So it. I am, I am never afraid to go to the thing which has kept me in broadcasting for now 17 seasons, and that is go to the number. So a lot of the times people go, well, you must have had a feeling. No, I will I will have studied that sprinter so well for the entire year that I know their trends and their tendencies. I'll give you a, a, short, a quick example. Andre de Grasse from, uh, from Canada, he just had his season opener. And he could not have looked worse. He didn't even make the final in this sort of random meet in Arkansas. And there'd be a lot of people that will write Andre Degrasse off for Tokyo if we go to the Olympic Games. I will not be, because I've studied him since he was at USC, and I know he does not like indoors, he almost never is ready early, but don't count that guy out when the pressure's on in the big race. Oh, by the way, he got second to Bolt in Bolt's uh, 2016 200-meter final, and third to Bolt in the hundred meter final, so it's it's not yeah. A lot of it is 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 being experienced as a broadcaster, but the truth is, I don't rely on abstract stuff. I rely on things that I know to be um, to be reliable.
3: It's Gary. You've talked about the only race you really cared about was the Olympic final. You know, later on in your career, that's when you got ready for. You know, uh, you'd go fifty one in season for a couple of years. We won't see Gary hold junior hundred, and then he'll go make team and knock it what was that shift let's go into mindset what was that shift that you made what was that you really cared you just were ready for that thing talk about the olympic final and draw and that mindset you shifted to
2: well that shift away from being so competitive going to all the meets um you know i think was part of my preparation uh you know that that reprieve from the intensity that sport Was um, uh, allowed me to come back and and for uh, an abbreviated period of time, let's say one year. um, I was really able to focus. Uh, It was important to uh, not be so far out of it. Fifty ones aren't that impressive, but not too far out that I could, you know, in in a year really home and um, and so yeah, I I, you know, but. People with uh, attention deficit disorder, they have uh, an ability to hyper-focus uh, for uh, brief periods of time. And so that was my approach and training uh, through a quadrennial, uh, you know, one year out of four, you know, let's focus, really, really focus. And then also uh, in the preparations for the competition the meet itself, Bill, um, you know, I could be, uh, all over the place and then you know for the 21 seconds or the 48 seconds it was going to take to uh, compete you know to zero in uh, with with uh, microscope focus
3: R2- sorry guys I, I was gonna put it out too because actually you had different maturity in your races from 96 to 2000 we we know what happened in 96 with the three four starts but 2000 had two four starts as well but you is a complete different answer in 2000. Talk about that mindset and where you're already in maturity.
1: Yeah. So in 1996, um, I am one of, I think, three favorites to win the 100, myself, Donovan Bailey, and Frankie Fredericks. And then Linford Christie, who's the defending champion and reigning champion, starts the false start. Um, I'm not so sure that he's not, like, trying to find a way out because he was – the best Linford was going to finish that night was was fourth. And I think he thought that was not the way he wanted to go out. But neither here nor there. Um me as the young college senior i start losing it like come on like why is this race not going off and i am losing energy before the gun even goes off and i'm gonna need once the gun sounds um i end up i end up third in that race um it's probably the only race i'd want to do over um contrast that with 2000 now where yeah we're in sydney and uh and, and it's a little cold i think that the for me, certainly being from Trinidad, um, I think the, that at race time, was like 60, 68, 69 degrees, but it's, it's, a, it's a completely different mindset from 22 to, to 26. And now with all this experience of being a pro, you could have you could have set off a, a grenade somewhere in that stadium. It would not have phased me because now this is not my first Olympic final. It's not, it's not my first roadie. I understand what kind of focus it takes to, uh, to 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 perform at the highest level and to and to be on that podium again. So, yeah, but you know, they you know, the thing about experiences. Nobody can can hand it to you in your hand, right? You have to experience these things and go through them um, before you can even think about uh, you know calling yourself experienced. And that's why any of you who you know anybody who goes to their first Olympics and gets that gold medal, I'm like. It's all downhill from here because if, if you pull this off in your very first try, it's like, I mean, look at, you, look at Usain Bolt's first uh, first soldier into the Olympics. He had run 1993 that year. That was a time fast enough to uh, to have won or gotten second that year. He doesn't make it out of the first round. It's not because he can't run. He's still, you know, a young Usain Bolt. It's because the, the, the moment and the the, the the gravity of the moment just just overwhelmed him. And uh, you know he, he literally lost the first race he ever uh, he was out in the first race he ever ran the Olympics and then never lost another one till he retired.
0: There you go. Gary, you mentioned ADHD helping you focus. Do you have to have ADHD to focus? What What is it about you know Irvin who allowed him to win the gold medal back in 2016 again after 20 years or 16 years? What is it about Nathan Adrian that makes him consistent, such a consistent performer time and time again? What What is it that is there something characteristic about you know people with that sort of speed that um, are able to just put all of everything to the side and let one thing come into their mindset, which is the race that they're about to do, and perhaps in some ways, not overthink it.
2: Yeah, I mean, those gentlemen that you uh, mentioned are gentlemen. You know, you have a conversation with Anthony or Nathan, they're so polite, uh, you know, so gracious uh, in in so many ways. Um, But somewhere buried below that facade, um is a badass right um somebody who's tough as nails um and, and um not just in the endurance of, of pain and the training uh and dealing with uh, setbacks you know i'm not going to let this stop me type of way but um you know i think that that's the common thread i mean between personalities whether they're attention deficit disorder or not i don't think that's uh you know terribly important but uh somewhere below the surface there has to be uh, a, a mean sort of a bitch
0: <laughs> well you certainly uh showcased uh some some bravado and perhaps that was a representation of the uh the mean sob that was underneath the surface that was going to le- unleash hell on the rest of the competition I- i'm just curious about like you know, where did um, that sort of uh, charisma, that sort of confidence, um, you know, do you feel like there were others in the sport that uh, came anywhere close to to matching that sort of confidence? Um, could you compare something like Popov's sort of stoic approach um, to that uh, as someone who raced him?
2: Yeah, I, he had he, he was cocksure. Definitely, you know. <laughs> Come on, like he—he he was just brought up in the 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 communist system. It, it's just expressed in a different way, you know. That and that's you know very like the but that pride was there, yeah, definitely. And the showmanship, you know, he he, he was every bit as confident, as egotistical or whatever. I, that's maybe an inappropriate labeling, as to mentioned earlier, like. Uh, it, or whoever, you know like it, it, sprinters generally have that label which isn't it isn't fair it isn't accurate but um yeah he definitely had that it just in, in a different way i mean he was just brought up in such a different circumstance that uh he didn't have the freedom to express it the same way that uh i chose to
3: you know this is a question for ato um usain reminds me reminded me of gary behind the blocks um you mentioned about using up all your, your energy before the 96 final, getting annoyed with what was going on and losing it. Um to me, when I see Usain and his antics behind the blocks, his blowing doing kisses and stuff,
1: uh-huh.
3: that's purposeful. Does he and Glenn Mills work on that? Because I know as soon as the starter whistle says, Take your marks, Usain goes woof. And he just like controls it. And Gary did the same thing. Gary, was that a purposeful way? I want to answer, the answer first. Purposeful way of just controlling your anxiety, your cortisol. Just to save it for when it matters.
1: Um, my generation of my generation of sprinters were were very stoic, um, more more pop-off than bolt. Um, <laughs> um, I, I I look back, and every now and then YouTube will throw up one of one of my old races, and I look at us and I go, I'm not sure that was the 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 best way to have done it. Uh, you mentioned Usain Bolt. Most of that came from Usain Bolt's confidence. Because if you go back to maybe 2007 when he's the silver medalist at Worlds, he doesn't really have that. He's trying, but I think the nerves and knowing that he's probably not the favorite um, doesn't allow him to be like that. In 2008, he knew he was faster than everybody else, not only in the world currently, but in the history of the world. But I think he did tap into something by – by the antics before and sort of not spending any energy that he would need to actually run so keep it very light you know focus on what's going on in the stands focus on whatever your your your, your girlfriend or your mother waving at you those were all things which i look back and i go if we had done that i think we would have been uh, we would have been better off but I, I i was in an era of real parody. we competed every week And every week somebody else won. And I think because there was no one really dominant uh, person for quite some time in in my era, uh, I think that led to everybody being a little bit, maybe a little bit more serious than we needed to be.
4: Yeah. Gary, obviously, like we've been talking about the bravado behind the blocks. I think we talked about it when we had you on a little bit before. You know, is this something that, like I said, you kind of developed over the years or something that you think was just uh, inside you the whole time, that kind of bravado or confidence behind the block? And then maybe, Otto, I'd love to hear more about what you think. Looking back now, you said maybe that wasn't the right way or you'd go about it differently, what you might change nowadays.
2: Well, I, I, yeah, it was something i hamming it up was something that I have always done. Uh, I was a natural face maker. I mean, you couldn't take a picture, a, gr- a group photo without me doing something weird. Uh, you know, like, I, it was just like that was my personality, me being me. And also, and, and I was doing that whether I was favored to win or, or, or not. Like, you know, I was doing that stuff in high school meets when I was not a fast swimmer at all. Like, I was not going to win the race. I knew that, you know. And, and so people have cited that as, like, wow, you know, he really, you know, the, the confidence to be able to make these predictions, you know, and, and, and everything like that. That was trash talking in high school that I couldn't back up, you know. And, and, you know, that was just, like, part of the fun of the sport. Um, so I took that to, you know, kept it in my – the back pocket of my speedo up to the olympic level and just continued to do it and you know i was shadow boxing and, and hamming it up you know behind the blocks in 96 you know with standing right next to papa it was unbeatable scientists were declaring you know that he was physically impossible to beat you know it, you know and and so for me it was enjoying the moment being present in the moment, right? Like it, it, it did alleviate stress um, it, it, as opposed to other, other people that just assumed that it would have contributed because you make these predictions, you better follow up with it. Yeah, that's true, I, I understood that. But it was also in some ways o- alleviating the pressure, um, you know, and, and and more than anything, just embracing the moment, enjoying it, enjoying it. like you talked about like what the things, watch a horse do before it gets into the gates before a race yeah I'm watching the swimmers behind the blocks and I'm looking for somebody who's smiling like if you can see somebody just even if it's like crack a smile like a little smirk or something like that bet on that guy uh, you know anybody who has the ability just to kind of relax a little bit and, and, and just enjoy it right have 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 some fun with it uh, yeah it's super intense yeah the stakes super high yeah we, we know we know. But it's the Olympic Games. You've worked your entire life to get here. Like, stop, you know, have, have some fun with it.
1: <laughs> That's Gary makes one. a great point. And I'm telling you what he's saying is accurate. And here's, and here's how I know what he's saying is accurate. I don't remember, I mean, obviously, you remember your Olympic moments, but my personal best, both in the 100 and in the 200, Neither of them came in the Olympic Games. There's a reason for that. I was more Gary Hall Jr. on the circuit, right? Where it was like me and Maurice Green or whoever. And we were same thing, kind of hamming it up. And, oh, yeah, we got to go kick these guys' asses and let's go. And that's where my best performances were. And then the Olympics, it was like... Mm-hmm. And the, the the reality is... My I would say my best two or three times, certainly in the hundred, are on the circuit. They're not in the Olympic Games. I ran fast in the Olympic games, but you have to go, go a little further down in my in my uh, in my progression to find that. So to me, that echoes what Gary's saying, and that is that you're be- being in the moment, I think, is better for um for ultimate performance. Is that
0: natural? Is it natural? Is it natural to is it natural to be able to calm down and be, uh, be loose in the, those peak moments? Or, you know, obviously you've had time to reflect on your career at this point. Do you think that um, if you had, you know, the immediate reflection early on in your career that, you know, can you learn it? Can you practice it? Or is it just innate?
1: I think you can. I, you, know, you know what the most important thing is? It's to not be something that you are not. And the reality is that I am not that serious of a guy, but if, if if we sat down and watched my Olympic finals, you wouldn't think that you'd be like, "Whoa, I'm gonna like cross the street when he when he's if he's walking towards me." So it goes back to what I was saying about being who you are and being in that moment without, you know, feeling like you have to have this this facade of you know I must break you. It's not. It's like. <laughs> no, don't use, don't you, those, I was in what, five Olympic finals, right? Anybody who's been in Olympic final will tell you, you remember them like the birth of your children. They are so special. And, and, and to have almost sullied them by this, oh my gosh, it's the Olympic final, I have to like be all badass. It's like, in retrospect, that wasn't the move.
3: That's the key yeah. there. Atto, you're 22 years old. For those who are not watching, in 1996, Atto was 22 and Trinidad had won one gold medal ever in in his entire Olympic history. And the entire country said, This is it. He stood on the blocks to win the second gold medal ever. And you Mm -hmm. lost by, you had that job interview that you failed. You had had no (laughs) idea about track, no idea. And they stick, they said you failed ever bronze and you lost by how much? How you can't prepare for that at twenty year old. You only get that from experience or on like it's experience, it's maturity, and it relies on good backgrounds, good coaching, good family, good grounding, and good teammates who might write the hammer of, of, of um, justice on your bicep before you win bronze in Athens. It requires that stuff, doesn't it, guys?
1: Seriously, like George Bobell, yes. <laughs>
2: I, I, I will. I want to say, yeah, the the, the experience is is uh, it, it, necessary. Um, but I had a really unique uh, upbringing. My my father was world swimmer of the year twice, ten world records. a top level. pressure. <laughs> he went to the Olympics three times. And, and the individual gold medal abated me. He won two silvers and a bronze. Wow. And he was favored to win multiple races in, in each of those games. And uh, as a child, I remember watching him behind the blocks and he was just frozen. You could see it in his face. Uh, and, and the leg, Bouncing the knee bouncing up and down you know as he's sitting there, and his face is white and you know it, 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 similarly he he was you know accused of failing you know be, with, with two silvers and a bronze and I was aware of that i, I mean before I could articulate, I think that there was a lesson uh, in my father's experience and seeing and knowing what he did to prepare himself, you know, his coach had him do something like 10, ten two hundred butterfly before the finals of his, uh, you know, just to try to get out the nerves because he was so like tense and, and just like. <laughs> I'm not swim, swim a like swimmer. like ten miles, that's all. That's
3: like 10 that's miles so all out. like ten
2: miles all out. Like but don't don't freak out like don't look like you've seen a ghost like you
0: know
2: and and i think that's why his advice to me was
4: have fun yeah yeah i guess like individually experience can be gained different ways obviously for a lot it's in the moment doing going to those things but like gary's saying perhaps getting experience from seeing from others and some people can internalize that into um, actually that full experience and then translate it into things they haven't even been to. So I think like you guys are saying, everyone's a little bit different. You have to be able to do what is natural to you. And sometimes it comes quicker than others, whether it's mental maturity or physical maturity as well. Let's, Absolutely. let's get into a
3: bit of training. So, uh, to, I mean, sorry, Gary, I posted a little flashback saying, you know what, um, track guys, they, they don't, train like mile guys. They don't train for the mile. Mile guys are it's like a marathon for you, right? So like I'm like you saying it's in train for the marathon. No. Um, talk to me about how you train Brianna right now. Brianna who doesn't know is one of the fastest um under 18s ever. She's, I think and now one of the fastest in the world. Um, how, the did you, how, you train, how did you train I, I think track has so much to teach swimming about sprinting. Um we had a young kid on last week. Gary he goes 21 eight unrested unshaved. And he's 18 years old and he warms up with 25s. That's all he does. That's his meet warm up is 25s. And we blew our mind to hear that. But I don't think that would blow Atto's mind. Atto, how did you warm up for 100? Just
4: talk to me about what do you guys want to start training? Like training for the 100? You guys have working- a preparation of the current athlete that uh, Atto is working with. There we go. Say again. Like Luke said, the, the current training is at Brianna. Yeah. What, yeah, what her, are some her of the standards? Or- yeah, her
1: name is Brianna Williams. She's born and raised here. As I said, I, you know, I, I got to, to Miramar, Florida in 2008 when I moved to Florida and um discovered her and and well, I didn't discover her. She was already running well. Um but I started I started sort of overseeing her program uh, about 7 or 8 years ago. So, she's born here. Uh, her mother's from Jamaica and she decided she wanted to represent Jamaica, which is rare. Usually, it's like a Jamaican um, athlete deciding that they want to come run for the United States. Like, Is your mom's from Jamaica? My mother's also from, from Jamaica, yeah. My, <laughs> my, father, my father's from Trinidad. My, my mother's from Jamaica. So I get the best of both worlds. Um, Brianna, you could see... Brianna is a bona fide prodigy. And I was a world under 20 champion when I was 18. And that was that was a big deal at the time because I, I was the first to to do certain things. But when I saw Brianna, I was like, that is a bona fide um, prodigy. In terms of how I train her, I look back at my own training, and I think swimming has elements of this, where even, it, it's almost like saying, for you to be a 50 meter champion, you have to be able to swim a decent half mile or, quarter mile or actual mile and that i was i was at the tail end of that sort of thinking i can tell you that one of the things that i did when i got into the industry is i said this doesn't make any sense all this half speed stuff and long stuff and just breaking down this young body for for her to go you know to perform for 10 seconds or 22 seconds as the case may be cannot be right. And for me I had to literally take a lot of what I knew as gospel and say, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just going to figure it out as I go. I'm going to talk to people who know more than me. I'm going to rely on the thing that that I talked about before the numbers and what Brianna has been able to do is nothing short of, of of amazing because I think it's because I was willing to to buck the system and go against what the trends are. So Brianna at 18, fastest under 18 ever, a high school record and all that stuff. And it's again, it's not because I'm the greatest coach ever, because I've only been doing it four or five years. It's because I look at her and I feel the pressure of. That's not a Ford in my garage. That's a Ferrari. And if it's a Ferrari, you have to be a Ferrari-level coach. So I, I know I know that that's something which in swimming is very controversial. You know, long to short and all that stuff, that's a debate that happens in, in our sport too. But I'm telling you, we're getting away from it because the coaches that I respect, they don't have their sprinters doing long... I don't want to say cross-country, but stuff that's way too long, that's training the wrong muscles, that's fatiguing them, that's actually not event-specific. Track and field has has gone, the ones who are at the top of the podium, we have gone from this very, very big wide base to maybe a much narrower base that's going a lot higher.
3: I hate to do this. What's the hardest set you've given her? I hate to talk practice, but it's, I want the swimmers who are listening to have an idea of the kind of quality that you, you give to her and the hardest set could be literally t- 10 seconds of perfect. What's the hardest set you give Brianna? That okay. She so,
1: so there's a, there's a workout, which I did, which I I haven't modified much, but it is so that in, it's so in the wheelhouse of what she has to do for a living. Um, You guys, 400 meter track, right? Separated into, into 400. She does uh, seven of those. So she goes 100, sprints 100, walks back. Sprints 100, walks back. To get all the way around, it takes seven. We've done 50 other workouts, but she'll tell you that one's the hardest because when she gets re- really ready to perform, her personal best is 10.94. When she gets really ready to perform, she can run each of those in about eleven five, all the way around, and give you 11, one on the on the final one. How much now rest? That, say again. How much rest? The rest is the walk back. So maybe she'll get, maybe that's about a minute, minute and a half of recovery. But your heart rate is so high, and you have to you have to sprint at such high levels of fatigue that when you get done with that and you get into a really nice taper. Yeah, you are watching her, you know, cruise through and run 11 1 rounds, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. It's like she and, and you know, she, she she's doing it in practice. But again, that's a big shift from okay, go out there, Brianna, and run five three hundreds. Can she do it? Yes. But she first of all, she's gonna dog the last two because after three, after two, she's done. And I have to remember. She's 18. I can't give her adult workout. She's just 18. She is 5'4, 125 pounds. So I have had to kind of look at what I have and try to be as good as I think she is because there's a lot of there's a lot of I see a lot of athletes, some of her peers, quite frankly. There's there's kids that came up with her in Florida, and you'll never hear their names again. And they were equally as talented because they had some coach that decided, nope. I came from the school of my sprinters are going to be able to run a good 800 and they're going to be able to run repeat quarters. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure you can do that. And now those kids are shadows of themselves because literally you have you have emptied the tank and now they're 19 and they have nothing left.
0: Yeah, Otto, the, the comment about a swimmer warming up with 25s is sort of like the equivalent of somebody saying, you know, ever seen a cheetah warm up? You know, I'm I'm really curious. Like, what is what's a proper what's a proper warm up for a hundred meter?
1: Um, that we we could have a we could have a long conversation about that. I am I am from the school of short, dynamic, um, intense warm ups. Um, so that means that okay, Brianna's opener is in two weeks. She will start with uh, six strides. And then she'll do um, some practice on how she's going to come out of the blocks. We call those dry phase drills. And then she's going to, um, you know, get a little adjustment or whatever. And she steps on that track. She puts on her spikes. And she does maybe three or four all out 60 meters. And once she feels like, and, and once I have to look at her, when I see that she's feeling it and her movements look right, then she's ready. She doesn't stretch before she runs. That's 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 old school. She doesn't stretch, she doesn't do a whole lot of, you know, she doesn't get the warm-up with uh with music, which I know you know, Gary's like, what? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's it's, it's it's very short, but it's very dynamic and it's very intense. Gary Harry comment. Like,
2: yeah. Well, it's- Comment on
3: what? I, I love to think what, what you think about this. Like, that might give you these kind of warm-ups? Like, you hear about Popov doing cold hundreds off the blocks sometimes. I mean, comment on this stuff. Did you miss this kind of stuff? Did you do this kind of stuff?
2: Yeah, no. Uh, I'm, so, I, I mean, there were plenty of times. That I, even at major competitions, uh, the, the Olympics or World Championships, I, I remember just getting up on the blocks uh, before finals. Um, doing uh, one twenty-five off the blocks, and, and if it felt good, that was it. I would get out, go to the showers, and that was it. That was my warm-up. So I've, I've done less than a twenty-five for, for a warm-up. Um, you, there's so much swimming done before that, and you know, you, it, it's making sure your body's feeling right, but also your mind's in the right place. But it's just feeling the water. It, it just an explosive burst. In terms of the training stuff, um, I really really appreciate what Otto is saying it's just I, I it was so frustrating it's something that i was trying to you know talk about as a young swimmer i didn't not, not understanding why everybody in the pool didn't matter if you were a miler or a freestyler or a butterflyer or i am or everybody's doing the exact same workout and um and i and it just i wasn't responding well to the workout and and, and Um, it was just such so frustrating and something that I learned so much, and this is pertinent to our conversation here, uh, correlating, uh, track and field and swimming mindset. Um, you know, I, I specifically remember asking, and we talked about it in the previous episode, coach at 14 years old, 15 years old coach, why are we all doing the same workout, you know, in track and field, the sprinters aren't doing the same as the cross country guys, right? everybody's doing the same workout here in in swimming. And I learned, I I made this incredible friendship and connection with Mark Foster, a five-time Olympian from England. And uh, Mark, uh, again, a reputation as being kind of an outside the box uh, guy, uh, uh, uncontrollable maybe uh, by some of the coaches and authorities in the sport. Uh, But he started training with Colin Jackson. And uh, Colin uh, and Mark both uh, have, have, have since come out, but they were uh, closeted at the time. So they had that a- a bond in common. Uh, I, I don't know what the relationship, but they were friends. And, and Mark started hanging out, learning from Colin what the track and field guys were doing. And, and, and Colin was, uh, you know, it's, it, it became clear to Mark that track and field was so much more advanced. In terms of how to train their athletes, and, and it was so refreshing to have that perspective. Once I connected and became friends with Mark and started training with him, I was downloading everything that he had learned from Colin and the world of track and field. And you know, he was, uh, you know, I think 100 110 hurdles or something was his event.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Explosive, and so we started doing. Um, the the workouts that he was doing on the on the track. So we were fortunate in both Phoenix and the Florida Keys to have a track, a huge open grass field right next to the pool, where we were doing uh, sprint training from track and field, you know, change of speed uh, type of stuff. Uh, I loved hearing the set that you are uh, uh, talking about it with Brianna um, because you can get your heart rate up so much higher than you can in the pool. And you know what the coaches were trying to achieve with ten thousand meters could never be accomplished in a a, a fifteen yard dash, um, you know, on on the track. And 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 so, yeah, I I was so appreciative of uh, that that friendship with Mark, and and, uh, that his uh, vicariously through Colin, uh, what he learned and shared with the race club in its earliest days that benefited all of us.
0: So I trained uh, with the first guy to break 19 seconds on the short course yards, 50 free Fred Biscay. Um, He and another teammate of mine were the first guys under 21 seconds long course in the, in the 50 free super suited for sure. But, but there's a a mentality of those guys um, that they could see past it. At the time when Fred went uh, 18 seven, that was uh, three tenths of a second faster than the, what, Everyone had been stuck at nineteen zero for twenty years prior. Um, I think it was twenty. I am wondering about what is it about sprinters specifically that break that, that break huge barriers. I mean, we've talked a fair amount about Bolt um, from either of your you know careers, other competitors that you've had, or or people that you observe, observed. Is there something um, about uh, the people that are are breaking those barriers that you feel is a is a, you know, a characteristic or stands out. What stands out about those people? Are you up to me? Then both, either one. Yeah, you, if you've got anything, go for it. <laughs> or maybe
1: not. I'm waiting on him. I'll just say this: um, we, we've talked about both quite a bit, and um, but the truth is that. I think about Michael Johnson and his golden run in uh, in 1996 in the Olympic games. I think a lot of people who have these breakthrough performances, dig a little deeper, go back a little further, and you'll realize that a lot of the times they showed you a glimpse of it and sometimes everybody didn't get the message. And And here's an example. In 1991, five years before Atlanta, Michael Johnson is a relative unknown. He goes to the World Championships and he runs like twenty flat. And people go, "Oh yeah, it's not a bad time." And you look at the wind reading, and the wind reading is like minus three point three. you Go, oh wait a minute! If the world record, if the world record is nineteen seven, he just ran twenty flat into that wind. That's basically the world record. But people, again, this is my numbers. People sort of they either overlook it or everybody it doesn't become sort of a mainstream. I, I um. Recognition, and it just sort of gets lost. Then he runs nineteen three in the golden shoes. And people go, "Oh my gosh, this is like who could have ever seen this coming?" Well, somebody who paid attention in nineteen ninety one, Usain Bolt, at seventeen years old, on a chilly evening in Bermuda, at the Carifta Games, which is sort of the Caribbean Junior Championships of track and field. Mm-hmm. He runs nineteen ninety three. I have said I think that's going to be the the world junior record when Christ comes back. Uh, <laughs> 1993 may not mean anything to to, to your viewers tonight, but the fact is 1993 in the 200 meters would have been second to a now grown up Usain Bolt in Beijing in 2008. Now it puts it in perspective. So he showed you a glimpse of it before if you were willing to pay attention. This is a 17-year-old who ran a time that would have been second only to himself um, in the Olympics, you know, uh, some, sometime later. So my experience has been a lot of the times, if you paid attention, you would have seen it coming. Very few people just show up and it's like, Oh my gosh, we could have never uh, foreseen this. The truth is that most of them will have given you some sort of an inkling before if you if you have the eye to uh to notice it
3: don't talk about the audience guys talk about yourself ato you're sitting at blocks and you knew the world record was what when you were racing it was like 984 or something donovan's record or what have you yeah it was, Did,
1: not, yeah, it was not it was 94 for a while
3: was that your barrier was it like oh there's no way we're gonna go 97 like could you oh you didn't give a shit you're like you know what one day i, I might go 96 guys i don't give it like like, talk about what was your mindset on the blocks when you saw Gary, when you saw a 21-5 was a world record. Like, that's not the barrier to speed. The barrier to speed is what I determined it's going to be. Was that your confidence? Atu, I mean, you your best times in oh. 986. 984
1: was a world record then. Not Okay, so when I sort of become, when I turn professional, the world record is 985. Uh, 985. It gets broken, it gets broken against me and that Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was very, very unlucky because I ran 986 4, on four different occasions. Um on two of those occasions the world record was nine eighty-four, and I ran it into headwind. So I, I ran a faster equivalent time, but that that's that's neither here nor there. Um, we never we never looked at the world record until until 1932 when Michael Johnson ran 1932. I knew that even though that was my better event, I was never going to run that. I didn't. I didn't. I couldn't figure out how I was going to find another half of a second um, in, in in my own career. But the hundred, up until the day I re- retired, I always felt like no, the hundred meter um, record could happen because I had been so close for so long. Uh, and I think been so unlucky with, with headwinds and so on, but no, we, we were never, we never stood in reverence of, uh, of the hundred meter of the hundred meter record. And I think that's, that's why, I mean, well, I, I scared it a bunch of times
0: and Maurice Green
1: eventually broke it.
0: Guys, I want to close it off with a few rapid fire questions. We're going to ping pong back and forth between you and Otto. We're going to start off with a question we asked all of our guests for swimming, but what is the hardest race in track and field?
1: Uh, the hardest racing track and field is the 400 meters. Olympic gold or world record, Otto? Olympic gold every day and twice on Sunday.
0: <laughs> Gary, who is the better showman, you or Usain Bolt?
2: Uh, two pages from the same book. <laughs>
0: um. Gary, is it true that you could kick a fifteen, a fifty meter underwater, holding a cinder block with no breath?
2: Yeah.
0: Jeez, Otto, what would Bolt's best time be if he trained for the hundred? What could he go? He trained for the four hundred? What could he go? Um, forty two eight. The world record right now is forty three oh three. Okay, Otto, swimming got rid of multiple false starts, thankfully. Did track and field get rid of multiple false starts? Yeah, they, they, they did. In
1: 2010, we went to a one and you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, Usain Bolt got thrown out in 2011 out of the World Championships. <laughs> Something else I predicted and everybody said, no, you're crazy. He never false starts. But yeah, we did.
0: Okay. Um, what's the best track world record on the books? <sighs>
1: I'd have to say the one that's lasted the longest, and that's um, by my friend Kevin Young, 46.78 for the 400-meter hurdles. It was set in Barcelona in 1992, and everybody thought, oh, it'll last a year. Well, guess what? It's now (laughs) now lasted a lot longer than a year. It's almost 30 years old.
0: Jeez. Gary, who's got more sex appeal, track athletes, sprinters, or swimmers?
1: Ah.
2: (laughs) You really put me on the I was expecting like a softball pitch. Uh you're you asking me all the hard questions.
3: Oh
0: Otto, who's got more sex appeal?
2: Oh, of course
0: I'm <laughs> but we, but it's not it's not it's not a
1: fair fight. These guys are like in their these guys are in their like their underwear, right? <laughs> We've got you know chain we got gold chains on and earrings and you know glasses and stuff that's not a fair fight so i'll, I'll answer <laughs> the question that
0: way. all right gary is sub 20 seconds and a long course 50 freestyle possible yes Otto, is sub nine seconds and 100 meter possible
1: yes we'll all be long gone by the time it happens
0: thank you guys so much for joining us it's been fun to talk about speed and to get to chat with two elites of their sport. So we really appreciate you doing it. Um gang, yeah, it's been a fun time. That's it for this episode of the Social Kick Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Hey everybody, thanks for hanging out with us. If you're enjoying Social Kick, tell your friends about it. And be sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at the Social Kick Podcast please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Social Kick, and you can find all of our content on our website at thesocialkick.com.